0: The Gospel lesson today comes from the fourth chapter of John, but before we get to the verses that I'm going to read for us, I want to give you a little context for the story. The story is the woman at the well, and you might know this if you've participated in our second course offerings throughout this spring. It is a story of how Jesus does something shocking he is in a village in Samaria, considered by some to be kind of enemy territory because the Samaritans were seen as betraying their Jewish faith. And so Jesus is in a village in Samaria. He is at a well, thirsty, waiting because his disciples have gone to try to find something to drink, and it's the heat of the day. Not many people come to a well at noon in the Middle East. And what, but who, someone who does come is a woman, And one can speculate that she does not feel comfortable coming at another time, so she comes at this heat of the day. And she is a woman, she is a Samaritan woman, and we find out she has five husbands and is living with someone who's not her husband. All of these things are quite shocking in and of themselves, and what is more so is that Jesus speaks to her. Jesus, a Jewish man who knows the scriptures, who is traveling, teaching the words of the Psalms and the Torah, And he knows what is considered clean and unclean. He knows the Samaritans are considered unclean, impure. And he talks to her. And they have a conversation. And he ends up saying things like, the water I will give will become a spring gushing up to eternal life. And this woman hears his words, sees that he's talking to her and including her in this conversation, and says, sir, where do you get that living water? Sir, give me this water. There is so much that can be said about this encounter. It is very rich in symbolism and significance. But I would love to focus on what happens next. For the woman leaves this encounter. She leaves and her heart and feet are alight with good news and she cannot hold it in. She runs and she tells her fellow villagers. And amazingly, they listen to her and they believe her. And they come to find this strange teacher for themselves. This is what happens. Let us listen for the word of the Lord from John 4, verses 39 through 41. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story begins in a shocking trespass of ethnic, political, sexual, and religious boundaries, and it ends in Jesus receiving the hospitality of these Samaritans, these outcasts, sitting, resting, teaching, and eating with them for a couple days. I wonder what it was like to be those disciples seeing Jesus talk to this woman. I wonder what... Their reaction was when they noticed that Jesus was reaching out to and receiving invitations from people who weren't quite up to their standards. Well, I have good news. Thanks to the writings of John Bell of the Iona community and Ethan Thomas and Duncan Sims, we are going to have a chance to listen in to a conversation between Peter and Jesus.
1: Uh, Jesus? Yes, Peter? Uh, I was just thinking.
2: Is that a new experience, Peter? I
1: was, just thinking of, I was just thinking about this, uh, church.
2: Something bothering you, Peter?
1: Well, I'm just confused. Is it just for Jews? No. Is it just for Gentiles? No. Is it for everybody? Yes. Including women? Of course. Jesus. Yes, Peter? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Yes. Do you know what you're getting me into?
2: Do you have something against women, Peter?
1: No, I'm married to one. (laughs) But if they don't know their place in the church, they'll ruin everything.
2: You mean they might ask questions and think you don't know everything.
1: Well, yes.
2: And that would be a new experience?
1: Well, it's not just women. It's the kind of women.
2: What do you mean, Peter?
1: Are you never afraid you'll get contaminated?
2: From... Food?
1: Not from food, from people.
2: Oh, you mean the little girl with the measles?
1: No, not children, adults, like women, like that woman. Which woman? You know, the one.
2: Oh, you mean Fontina?
1: That's not what most folk call her.
2: Maybe, but I'm not most folk.
1: Jesus, she has a reputation, has had five husbands already. They say she's a cursed man-eater. Also, she's a Samaritan. And you just talked to her, Jesus, like nothing was wrong with that. You ought to hear what people are saying.
2: I can imagine. I'm hearing what you're saying. So? So?
1: Jesus, you don't know where she's been. You don't know what she believes.
2: Do you always know what you believe, Peter?
1: Come off it, Jesus. You're not making a fool of me. You're making a fool of yourself.
2: So what if I am? What's it to you, Peter? Are you worried about your reputation? Just remember, when I first met you, you were no perfect saint. You swore like a sailor, smelled like fish, and made off-color jokes all the time.
1: But I didn't act like she did.
2: No, you acted worse than she did. Fontina knows she's not perfect, but you thought you were wonderful, God's gift to the world. People don't contaminate me, because unlike you, I don't go looking for dirt on them. I go looking for gold. Plenty Plenty of people tell Fontina she's cursed. Plenty of people used to tell Joel that he was unclean when he was a leper and he had fingers missing. Plenty of people still whisper behind Matthew's back that he used to be a dirty tax collector. There's dirt in everyone, Peter, but those who know how bad they've been don't need you or me to remind them or to avoid them because they're contaminated. When you look at Fontina, you see a man-eater. When I look at her, I see a disciple. The same with Joel, and the same with Matthew, and the same with you.
1: But what about your reputation?
2: Peter, what about their
0: lives? So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. This story is full of the good news of Jesus Christ spreading through the land, but it doesn't make everybody happy. In fact, this is the season of Lent where we remember that Jesus set his ministry down the path of love, which crossed many boundaries and angered many people in power. After all, we are human beings. We like to draw lines and name one side, saved and unsaved, clean, unclean, promising, and troubled. We draw tight circles around ourselves and make sure that they include our favorite people, the people who look and sound and think just like us. But when we draw these lines and circles, when we carefully craft barriers and make sure that we are on the inside we will quickly discover that we've left someone out. We've left out Jesus. I was reminded of this this past week with the death of Fred Phelps, the founder of Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. The Phelps family makes up almost all of Westboro Baptists, and it's hard to even call it a church. This group has made the news over the past decades. You've probably seen a couple of their protests They've traveled the country and picketed funerals and high schools and all sorts of places. They've held up many signs filled with language of fierce contempt and hate. Their picketing has led to Supreme Court cases. They've been banned from the UK. They've been labeled a hate group by some. Biblical principles of love, hospitality, grace, and trust in God never quite seem to make it onto their signs. And it is striking to the note that when Fred Phelps died last week, four of his nine children were estranged from him. And indeed, there's even ripplings that he had been excommunicated by the elders of Westboro Baptist, because they saw him as going soft. He and his daughter, who was taking too much of a leadership role, had spent all their life carefully creating barriers that would hold people out. And now they themselves had been thrown out of their own fortress. This is a sad end to a bitter life. Jesus crosses boundaries, though, no matter how high we place our walls and how much we might mock him for trespassing. So now that Fred Phelps has died, I do believe that he is learning, perhaps for the first time, the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And there are other places that we can discover new circles being drawn. Circles not defined by hate and prejudice, but by love and compassion. Yesterday, or two days ago, Westboro Baptist picketed again for the first time since Phelps' death. And across the street was a group who held a huge yellow sign that said, We are sorry for your loss. One of the women who held the sign, Megan Coleman, noted that there had been these counter-protests for years. The Westboro Baptist Church seemed to bring people out of the woodwork to surround the military funeral or surround the high school or surround the places where people were being protested against. She said, it kind of brings people together. This story can show us that no matter how fiercely, fiercely someone defends these circles of hate, it is still possible to draw different circles. Circles of love, circles of grace. Jesus did not reject the Samaritans. He invites outcasts and sinners alike into the fullness of God's kingdom. Before we even approach him, Jesus is at the well, waiting in the heat of the day, waiting to invite us into a new kingdom. He tells us good news of how we might be renewed by water so abundant and refreshing that it would quench our thirst forever. Jesus meets people where they are. The woman at the well, or perhaps you know the story of the short tax collector who climbs a tree, or even a number of not-yet-discipled fishermen in the sea who are cursing up a storm. Yes, Jesus meets people where they are, but the key thing is that these characters don't meet Jesus, listen to what he has to say, and then let him pass on by. They ask him to stay a while. They invite him to their homes. Zacchaeus lets Jesus come to his home for dinner. After Jesus says, follow me to the fishermen. The first question they ask is, where are you staying? The woman at the well runs and tells her Samaritan neighbors, who then come to this strange teacher and ask him to stay with them for a while. And he does, for two whole days. And this is what upsets those enemies and disciples of Jesus. He isn't just giving some good speeches to these unclean people and then getting back on the road. He visits their homes, breaks bread, and rests with them, teaches the scriptures, the psalms, perhaps ones that we even read today, and he gets to know their families for days. It is very important where Jesus stays, and who invites him to stay with them. As disciples of this Jesus of Nazareth, It is one thing for us to read the scriptures and marvel at this man. We might even take time to snap a picture or tweet a quote before continuing along our busy way. These are easy to do. It is not so easy to hear Christ's words and ask him to stay with us for a while. It is not an easy thing to build our days and our whole community life around him. But we can try. In fact, this is what Brian Blunt, who worships here and wrote about this passage for a national magazine, wrote about these verses. He says, in these last couple verses, Jesus has shown the way that cuts across the boundaries that humans devise. In John 4, for a brief moment, he succeeded. For two days, Jews and Samaritans prayed and worshipped together as an undivided people. Where there had been division, there was now community. When we draw tight circles around ourselves, fearing what is outside and declaring that we have it right on the inside, defending our barriers and building our fortress walls high, we risk looking around and realizing that we are the only ones inside And we might see Jesus on the other side, watching us, waiting for us, hand extended outward, asking us to step out and drink fully from the abundant water of eternal life, rather than just sipping anxiously through our own little straw. We are invited to step out of our fear and into Christ's love, to leave behind our lines of judgment and to step into relationship with God's grace. This is the good news that has changed lives. This is the good news that makes us invite Christ to stay a while. Please. You might have read... Articles about the decline of denominations, there's been a lot of ink spilt over that lately. For indeed, a lot has changed from 50 or 100 years ago. Many churches are older and smaller than they were then. However, we can fixate so much on loss of numbers in the last 100 or 200 years that we forget to notice what has actually been happening for millennia. Worshipping communities have always shrunk and grown across the generations. And in our fear, we can ignore that the God of the ages, whose almighty hand we sang about today, is always doing something new in the midst of our lives. Those times when we can see past the way things have always been done, we will glimpse a vision of life-giving water coming from unexpected places. Indeed, the Presbyterian Church USA has spent some time and energy behind naming some of these places with a new initiative called 1001 Worshiping Communities. With the help of some seed grant money, leaders are encouraged to go out and find places that might draw people together in unexpected circles of grace and hospitality. They're encouraged to build worship in that place to those people where they are, So now, because of this initiative, which you can read about on your own, there is a small PCUSA in a trailer park in the States and a homeless shelter. There is a dinner church in a downtown loft and an interracial worshiping community in the east end of Richmond up on Church Hill. There is also a circle of rocking chairs on a small white church in Floyd County, Virginia that's over 100 years old. This church was about to be closed and sold off, but a local Presbyterian pastor, Edwin Lacey, had a new vision. Lacey's niece is actually a regular worshiper here with us and first pointed me to this story. Lacey calls this group the Wild Goose Uprising. Worship happens on Tuesday nights so as not to compete with normal Sunday morning worship. But this worship includes banjos, Appalachian music, and communion wine out of mason jars. Lacey has had several interviews about his vision of church, and he says, traditional Appalachian music will be integral to everything we do. I want to celebrate the love of the land, the camaraderie, the music, arts and crafts, and the community of willingness to help each other. I lead from the rocking chair, Many people are wounded from the church but are still Christians. I'm trying to reach out to these people. I believe in embracing the quest, embracing the mystery. I'm not preaching answers, I'm preaching questions. He describes the worship service as greeting God with a mixture of prayer, liturgy, scripture, a brief reflection and conversation around the scripture, and music. And when he was asked why wild goose, he responded this way, that in the Celtic tradition, the wild goose is the symbol of the Holy Spirit because they believed it was a better representation than a dove. A goose is free, strong, humorous, and, well, wild. A wild goose will also sneak up behind and bite you in the seat of your britches an apt metaphor for how the Holy Spirit often works in our lives. People don't like being bit in the britches by the Holy Spirit. People don't like Jesus talking to Samaritans and lepers, prostitutes and Pharisees. Those in power don't like being told that God's love is more powerful than they are. It is easier to create barriers that divide and condemn rather than draw circles that unite and include. But in the scriptures, we see over and over again that Jesus comes into the world, reaching out when others recoil, healing what others fear, loving what others spit upon, and he knows where this is going to lead him. Like the woman at the well, we have many questions for this Jesus of Nazareth. Like Peter, we might get annoyed by his response and where he chooses to stay at times. Like so many characters throughout the scriptures, we must learn to ask ask this Messiah, will you stay a while? And like Jesus, we must practice drawing our circles of communities in ways that build grace, love, and joy. Sometimes it looks like the shouts of a woman who is heard and believed by her fellow villagers. And sometimes it looks like a circle of rocking chairs with banjos sending greetings to God through the mountain air. So friends, Christ is waiting at the well. What are we going to do now? Let us pray. God, you come amongst us even when we don't expect you to show up. And you walk with us, inviting us into new kingdoms of love and grace. May we invite you into our lives. Amen.